This will be the final Out of the Vault series episode, at least for now. I'm feeling a pause, at least a pause for now. I believe there's been sufficient special knowledge released to thrust us forward for success that we need currently and for the days ahead. I want to end on a word about harvest. About two months ago, I had awakened from a dream and I heard the word harvest. It set with me for a little bit. I had worked the next day. I worked all day. And later that night, I came back to that word, spent time learning from Holy Spirit, being tutored by Holy Spirit on what harvest is. And he taught me some things. Now, I am not the know-all and all be-all of harvest. I am not saying this is the uh, definitive thing about harvest um, because we know in part, we prophesy in part. Until all things are made right, until all things are made perfect. So I'm not saying that this is something to hang every word on because I believe, you know, there's so much more to learn. And there have been people way before my time. There are people who are still now who know a lot more on harvest, who lived it, who've experienced it, who've taught on it. But I want to impart and share with you what I learned about harvest. It's starting in Matthew chapter 13. I received this word and I'm not going to read the entire chapter. I'm coming from the Passion Translation. If you're familiar with Matthew 13, Yeshua is revealing parables to the disciples and he's saying parables are divine mysteries from the highest heaven that are given to the sons of God, but can be hidden from the sons of God, even if they're not seeking it. But it is meant to be the bread of the sons of God. And he gives a parable specifically about things growing amongst other things. And some things that are growing amongst some other things are immoral, they're vile, they're bad, they're not meant for good. They could even spoil the bunch, the other things. And then the other things themselves are valuable. They're worth it. They're purposeful. They have meaning. They are fruitful and they're meant to endure. So Yeshua says these following words in verse 29 through 30. After having a question being given to him, his reply was, do you want us to gather up all the weeds? Yeshua said, no. If you pull out the weeds, you might uproot what wheat at that time. Let them both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I'll tell my harvesters to gather the weeds first and tie them all in bundles to be burned. Then they will harvest the wheat and put it into my barn. Now, of course, this was a parable, so he was talking about a farmer, but we know, understand, parables are the language of heaven symbolically, and that farmer is the father and the son. So it was really in reference to himself, because he is the word, he is the Torah. And what I want to explain to you here is very simple. I'm not going to go into an in-depth teaching about this. Those of us who are the sons of God, who are fruitful, who are enduring, who are productive, who are the promise, the other things that I mentioned a little bit ago, we are the wheat. We are that, the ones that Yeshua came for, died for, rose for, and ascended for, giving us the gift of Holy Spirit. 
but there are things that have been growing amongst us. And those things have even caused many of us, well, all of us to be compromised. And that happened way back in the garden east of Eden. And that compromisation has been going on. Now, Yeshua released, uh, uh, led captivity captive and he released gifts unto men and he gave back the keys to man. But we are still in a war and we are still fighting for, we're not fighting to get back the keys per se, because we've been given the keys, but we are fighting to maintain our boundary lines and maintain those keys because the enemies want them back. So that is why we continue to fight and the war has yet to come to fruition. Now that was free because I'm not talking about spiritual warfare in this episode specifically. What I do want to say about these two verses, 29 through 30 in chapter 13, is that we're in a time where God's eyes, the Father's eyes, are watching all hearts of men. I talk about this back in an episode in March or April, I believe. And I talk about what is God doing. And I give three propositions of what the Father's doing, all scripturally based and all have the same common denominator. His eyes are watching. And that's exactly what Yeshua is saying. No, as the farmer, do not gather up the weeds, because if you do, you will uproot the wheat and they will both die. And if you could prophetically see and understand that that would happen to us right now, if the gatherers and the wheat, then the reapers were to come right now, it will be devastating for us all. You see, this is why he tarries because he's kind. This is why he tarries because it's not time yet. Do you understand? This is why we are thankful for his kindness, because it's his kindness that leads us all to repentance. So, Father, we thank you right now for your kindness. Yeshua, we thank you for your kindness. Holy Spirit, your fruit is one of kindness. We thank you, God, three in one for your kindness, that we would come back to a place where you are first the one thing in our lives. So that when you do the gathering and you send those angels who are gatherers and who are reapers, that we, the wheat, will be successful in our there, in our after, in Jesus' name. So his eyes are watching and there are scales. Things are hanging in the balance right now and at the appointed time, hear me, and I believe that time is soon. How soon is soon? I don't know. At the appointed time, those reapers are going to be released and they will gather. And we want to make sure that we, the wheat, will be placed into Yeshua's born. Amen. The second verse, and it's the final verse that he gave me that we're going to talk about, is found in 2 Samuel 21. And, you know, I have read 
the Samuels boat books. I, you know, I've read the Bible through and through, frontwards, backwards. I mean, I've, I devoured it in my, 20, in my late teens and 20s. And I didn't see this. But the appointed time for me to see it was now. Thus, I release it. I'm reading from the Amplified Bible. And this one's going to be a bit lengthier because I'm reading from verse 1 to verse 14. 2 Samuel 21. There was a famine in those days of David for three consecutive years, and David sought the presence face of the Lord, asking the reason. Sounds familiar? The Lord replied, It is because of Saul and his bloody house, because he put the Gibeonites to death. So the king called the Gibeonites and spoke to them. Now the Gibeonites were not of the sons or descendants of Israel, but the remnant survivors of the Amorites. The Israelites had sworn an oath to spare them, but Saul in his zeal for the sons of Israel and Judah had sought to strike them down, the Gibeonites. So David said to the Gibeonites, what should I do for you? How can I make it good so that you will bless the Lord's inheritance, Israel? The Gibeonites said to him, we will not accept silver or gold belonging to Saul or his house, his descendants, nor is it for us to put any man to death in Israel. David said, I will do for you whatever you say. So they said to the king, the man who consumed us and planned to exterminate us from remaining in any territory of Israel, let seven men chosen from his son's descendants be given to us and we will hang them before the Lord. That is, put them on display, impaled with broken legs and arms in Gabeah of Saul, the chosen one of the Lord. And the king said, I will give them. Verse 7, but the king spared Mephishbosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, because the Lord's oath that was between David and Saul's son, Jonathan. So the king took the two sons of Rizpah, the daughter of Aiah, whom bore the, to Saul, Armani and Mephishbosheth, and the five sons of Merab, the daughter of Saul, whom she had borne to Adriel, the son of Barzillai, the Mahethalite. He handed them over to the Gibeonites, and they hanged them on the hill before the Lord. And the seven died together. They were put to death in the first days of the grain harvest, the beginning of the barley harvest in the spring. Rispa, the daughter of Aia, took sackcloth and spread it out for herself on the rock. From the beginning of the harvest in the spring until the autumn, rain fell on them, and she allowed neither the birds of the sky to rest on their bodies by day, nor the beasts of the field to feed on them by night. David was told what Rispa, the daughter of Aia, the concubine of Saul, had done. Then David went and took the bones of Saul and Jonathan, his son, from the men of Jabesh Gilead, who had stolen them from the open square of Beth Shan, where the Philistines had hanged them on the day when the Philistines had killed Saul in Gilboa. He brought up the bones of Saul and of Jonathan, his son, from there, and they gathered the bones of those who had been hanged with their arms and legs broken. They buried the bones of Saul and Jonathan, his son, in the country of Benjamin and Zela, in the tomb of Kish, his father. And they did all that the king commanded. After that, 
God was moved by prayer for the land. Now, where I ended is where I'm going to start, and I'm going to break everything back down, and then we'll close out. Amen. The last verse, verse 14 says, after that, God was moved by prayer for the land. Verse one says, there was famine in the days of David for three consecutive years. There was famine in the land. So what did David do to end the famine? David sought the Lord. Scripture says that he inquired of God. He asked the reason why. And God replied to him as he usually did because David was an inquirer. They were close. He was uh, the beloved of God and God was his beloved. They had that bond, that relationship. David was known as an inquirer. And God replied to him whenever he would inquire of him. God's words were, it is because of Saul and his bloody house. So what was David's response to God's responding to David? David went and sought recompense according to the word of God. He went and sought, how do I fix this, a resolution. So he went to make right the covenant between the Gibeonites and Israel, not Saul. The Gibeonites in Israel, Saul violated a covenant, a covenant that had been established between Israel and the Gibeonites. He violated in bloodthirsty murder and vengeance, all for his country. There are different translations that says Saul murdered the Gibeonites all for the sake of Israel and Judah. That's called patriotism, all for his country. And when you violate a covenant on behalf of patriotism, well, when you violate a covenant for anything, unless God says to violate it, which God is the God of covenant who establishes covenant, unless he brings forth a new and better covenant that rewrites and overthrows the other one, supersedes it, God's not going to tell you to break a covenant unless there is a reason for him to tell you. God never told Saul to break that covenant. So it brought a famine in the land. David wanted the famine to end. I'm sure everybody else in the land wanted it to end as well. So David went and sought recompense. Now, this was all around the time of harvest. It was actually in the time of harvest, if you will. When we go back to Matthew chapter 13, what was the parable saying about harvest? The weeds were growing among the wheat and the reapers asked the farmer, do you want us to pull the weeds up? And the farmer said, no, because if you pull them up, the wheat will also die along with the weeds. That is a principle and it is applied and it corroborates in Matthew 21, excuse me, in uh, 2 Samuel 21, this story that we're talking about here. So having gone to the Gibeonites and I love the Gibeonites, excuse me, the remnant of the Gibeonites, the remaining survivors of the Gibeonites, I love their response. 
We want nothing from Saul. Now, many of us would be seeking X, Y, Z. And listen to me, I'm not saying that that's bad because God sometimes wants us to seek X, Y, Z. You got to hear from him. Hear from Holy Spirit. Don't get into this false humility. Don't get into this, oh, I want to be so wrapped up and be intimate and all this blah, 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 blah. I'm so good. Don't listen to the spirit of God. There were times God said, go and conquer all, go take all, go recover all. And then there were times in that God said, like with Abraham, leave it, take nothing, actually give it away. And I love the response here because for God to do the redemptive work in this specific situation, you see, the older I get, I'm learning more and well, I'm, I'm seeing, not learning because I, I've known it, but I'm seeing it. I'm seeing it manifest before my eyes about most high God that things are situational. Now, hear me in this. God is absolute. There are definitives. God is black and white. There are things that are yes and no. Do not pass. Go. Do not go beyond these borders. There are boundary lines. There are parameters. Don't do this. Yes, do this. If this happens, this will happen. There are cause and effect. Principles, divine and natural, 100% agree. My ministry is predicated upon principles because I teach principles. My blurb says I blend spiritual principles, spirit and truth. That's what I do. But I also see Things are situational because God is too big to be absolute. God is omniscient. That means there are multiple things he's weighing out and he's seeing multiple outcomes all at one time. Now, that's we can only we're limited. We can predict multiple outcomes and depending on how skilled you are, how gifted you are or how trained you are, you can see your capacity can be strengthened. But as a human being in a fallen world, in a fleshly state, not being most high God, we are utterly limited to seeing how many outcomes and possibilities that there really are. And what I'm saying is God is a situational God. In this situation, God wanted the Gibeonites not to seek anything else but that which would bring redemption on the land and what would ultimately restore and redeem them as a people and their covenant with Israel. And if you want to see what I'm saying and how this aligns with situational, you go back and you use those examples I gave earlier with Abraham in Genesis 14, how in that situation also Abraham said, I'm going to give this to um, Melchizedek. And then um, after I slaughter these kings and everything they have and I defeat them, I'm not going to take anything from them. But I do want to make sure that those individuals have sufficient for what they need and that they're provided for. I don't want anything at all. And then you come into the life of David, where God says often, recover all. You come before David, where Israel is going to conquer land, and God says, recover all. 
So understand how to hear from and listen to Holy Spirit. I'm off on a rant and I'm done preaching on that. So David adheres to the Gibeonites requests and David goes and gathers uh, from the house of Saul seven men and David hangs those men. You heard me read the story and they perish. So pause. David inquired of the father. Why is there a famine in the land? This is annoying. I'm aggravated. I want it to end. This is not the best that you have. What's going on? What caused this? Now, I'm tired of people with all this false grace. I'm sorry. I'm about to get back to my preacher state. I am tired of you people with false grace. I said what I said. You think I'm pointing fingers all you want to. Because if you think I'm talking about you, I'm probably talking about you. Your heart is failing you. I am tired of false grace. True prophetic voices, true apostolic people, prophetic people, teaching people, evangelist people, pastoral people, are the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, and heck, even true mature sons and daughters of Most High God. You understand that there is such a thing as false grace. And I am tired of the false grace. You go back to the principles. There is always a cause for the effect. The effects during that time of David's reign in 2 Samuel 20, 21 was from the cause of Saul, who had been dead for quite some time. So you go back to the root you don't just go before God and say, oh, God, I just want your grace. Can you just give me grace right now? Can you extend grace in this? No, because God is a God of not only covenant, but the God of order and the God who sits and establishes principles and boundaries. And he cannot go against his word because that would make him not only a liar, but that would make him not God because he would be common like everything and everyone else. He is above he is Kwana, the jealous God. He is the holy God. Mekadeshkim, Yahweh Mekadeshkim. He is the sanctifier. So he has to be high above. He cannot do what mortals do, what humans do, and what false deities do. Do we understand that? So, and still, you see why we got to get in Holy Spirit, because there are times where God says grace is sufficient and grace is enough. You need to, you needn't do any more. And then there are times and I believe it. I believe it depends maybe on the severity of the thing. This was covenant breaking and this was a land issue. And I believe it required a little bit more than saying, God, forgive me and apply grace. So I believe God took this to a level, you got to go back to the principles and you got to look at cause and effect because there are principles involved here and you need to implement the principle that will break the power of the curse that's on this land. Now, I am prophesying some things right now in this teaching. You see, spirit and truth. You just got to pick it up. You got to get out of the religion and you got to pick it up by the spirit. I'll say that again. You need to find the principle that is going to break the curse in the land from the cause and the effect of what Saul brought. 
back to your regularly scheduled broadcast. So David's efforts that he did with those seven men that he hang were insufficient. Because verse 14 says, after that, God was moved by the, their prayer and healed the land. Well, what was that that happened before after that? I'll get to that in a second. That's a lot of that's. So we don't read it in scripture, but that's again why we have to have our thinking caps on and we have to read scripture by the spirit of God through the lenses of Holy Spirit and not through the nature of the flesh and through our own ambition, our own knowledge. Time had passed and word got back to King David that there is a woman named Rispa. And what Rispa was doing and how she had been guarding and watching over the dead, keeping watch over them against the sun, the heat, and even the animals like birds in the air, vultures trying to come and take their flesh. He heard what she was doing in a time of harvest. What did I say? I gave a little synopsis about Matthew 13, 29 through 30. God's eyes are watching to see how we're going to act and how we're going to respond. And I believe Rispa was not only a righteous representation of what was supposed to be done in addition, the full principle that would break the power of the curse in the land. But I believe it was a representation of how God was watching over Israel in that time. And when he heard of what she had been doing, he went and understood that although Saul was a mess and a fool, do you hear what verse 6 says about Saul? The chosen one of the Lord. God allowed Saul to be chosen. Saul was not God's best. Saul was not God's perfect will. Saul was God's permissive will. Yet Saul was anointed, which is why David could not touch him. And David left God's anointed touched even after his death. Do not pull the weeds up because the wheat will die and suffer along with the weeds. But if you watch in the appropriate time, I will send you out to gather in that time and you will pull the weeds up and you will gather the wheat and the weeds will be tossed into the fiery furnace and the wheat will be given into my barn. 
David was a parabolic seer prophet. And I believe David somehow, and he was very intuitive and a feeler, I believe somehow he tapped into some form of parabolic uh, mysterious knowledge in that instant. And I also believe he knew covenant. He knew covenant and he knew he could not leave those bones, those men who had hanged. He couldn't leave them there. The right thing to do of a king, of a dignitary, of a priest, of a prophet was to give them a proper burial. So he took the bones of that hot mess Saul, yet the chosen of the Lord God Almighty, and he buried them. Saul and Jonathan in the country of Benjamin and Zillah in the tomb of Kish, his father. And after that, God was moved by their prayer and healed the land. Selah.